Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad, they shall exult before God, they shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord, exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. Rain in abundance, O oh God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O oh God, you provided for the needy. There we go. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. Sing praises to the Lord. To him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens. Behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary. The God of Israel, he is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. God, this morning we just want to take a moment and before we say a word of worship, just listen to what you have. Listen to who you are and believe that your scripture is true, that you are father to the fatherless, that you are the protector of widows, the protector of those who... We might view as less than. Jesus, we just thank you for who you are, for the identity that you've given each and every one of us before we deserved it, before we wanted it, before we even thought that we needed it. You called us your own. I just pray that as we go into worship this morning, we would come in with an attitude of wanting to reap praise. God, just to heap it right onto your doorstep, onto your footstool. I just ask that worship would be about you and not about the words 
that we're singing, God, but just about who you are. Amen. That was awesome. Pretty fantastic. Um, I just want to express praise and just thanks to Jesus. Just creating a space for us to be with him. He did all this work so that we could be with him and he with us. So, Father, today we just want to be fully present with you as you are present with us. We know that these moments are gifts, so we count them as gifts. We know that every gift is from you, Father. And I'm just going to pray over you. I just have this heart cry that people would be able to live transparently before the Lord that you would know that the real you can come out, that you would know that the version of you that really is who God created doesn't have to hide. Father, that you bring us into light. And I just thank you for that today. I thank you that we can walk in your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Good morning. I'm glad you're here. Um, I, uh, so Katie, just had Watson, and so while she was out for those four weeks, I was acting as Katie, and um, super impressive that she's coming back uh, with a five-week-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old, because that job is no joke. Um, Children's ministry is super important, and she does it super well. Um, So this is like my first time actually getting to be back with you guys in five weeks, and can I just say that there is such a uniqueness to our community like not being able to be present with you guys for four weeks, and then we were out of town at my brother's um, ordination to North Carolina. And he has a fantastic church, and I've been to a lot of churches, but the uniqueness of this community and what the Lord has done and is doing is so special so that when, when I'm not here or when the Turners aren't here, who when we aren't here and we say we really miss being here, it's so true. Like it's not just something you're supposed to say when you're gone and then you come back. So I'm really glad to be back. Um, and I am, I'm, we're going to be going through Mark. Uh, we're going through Mark, and we're going to be entering Mark 6. And um, I'm going to preface this now by saying there, we're going over 29 verses, and I am fully aware that that is quite a bit of Scripture. I totally get it. And I know that there's a good chance that there are probably like three sermons packed into the passage that I'm going to read. My job when I was preparing, my role was asking the Lord, what are you wanting to say and to steward that message well? And so my heart is not just to ignore or overlook the other details or the other truths that are in the scripture that we're going to be reading, but it's to try and speak and to deliver the words the Lord is saying is right for this community today in this moment through me. And so um, I'm actually going to read it first, and then I'm going to have us uh, pray. So if you can open your Bibles to Mark 6, or it will be on the screen, um, and we're going we're gonna to read it first, and then I'll pray. So Mark 6, verse, starting at verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? 
Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could not do and he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went, he went about among the villages teaching. Verse 7. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts. But to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Wherever you enter, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if, it, if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake, the dust off, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed many with oil who were sick and healed them. Verse 14. King Herod heard of it. Heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. That is why these miracles, miraculous powers, are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had been sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he, greatly, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading of the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and said, asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of the John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king set, sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. I'm going to pray. So God, we come before you, and I thank you that just from reading the scripture alone, you say that your word does not return void. And so already we are engaging and receiving your active word that is alive and well for us to hear from you, to receive from you, to learn of you. Allow it to shape, encourage, challenge, and refine our lives and our hearts. And so I ask this morning that your word and your heart would be expressed so clearly. I pray that we would be open and available to receive whatever you have from us. 
that this word would jump off the pages, that it would be the breath in our lungs. We thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that you're present. And we thank you that we are, you are here with us. And so we just say yes to whatever you want to accomplish. May it be done. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I um, first, so as Josh was saying, every other week we get together and so and figure out kind of where we are in Scripture, what we're going over. And so it wasn't until really last week that I got from Josh where he was going to be ending so I could know exactly where I was going to be picking up. So I started to read through Mark 6 and ask the Lord, where, where are you in this? Where, where are you and what are you saying for me to share to, for our, our community? And when I felt like the Lord was highlighting these 29 verses, it was daunting for sure. But also, it didn't seem to really make sense to me. It didn't feel cohesive to me. They felt like, like when, as we read them in our Bibles, most of it is divided up into three separate sections. And it's not this very like rhythmic story that just all connects and you have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so that challenged me as I kept being drawn to this story of these verses. I had to start asking the Lord, what is your string that you are connecting through these 29 verses that I am not inherently physically seeing just in this moment? I can get truths out of each piece, but for this to be an ongoing message as part of your gospel, I needed the Lord to bring really revelation and insight into the scripture. And so I'm gonna, we're going to start with John the Baptist and kind of work our way backwards. Um, and uh, hopefully we're going to get to see just how creative, really, uh, God is with making this word come alive for us, that it isn't stagnant and it's not just what you see on the page. So John the Baptist, a little bit about his life, um, he, was, he was from the moment he was in the womb, we know that he was destined for a very, very purposeful uh, time here on earth. And um, in Luke chapter 1, it talks about this interaction between Mary and Elizabeth and Mary coming to Elizabeth and getting to tell her the news that she had just re received from the angel that Jesus is going to be born on earth, become flesh through her. And Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. And as when this interaction happens, it says that, that the baby in Elizabeth's womb jumped for joy. And so we see from that moment, from the very first moment that John is entered into this scene, he is purposed and destined to be someone who is set apart with the purpose of preparing the way for Jesus. And so when I first read the way that John the Baptist even dies, it almost was like I was offended on behalf of John, like he, he said yes again and again and again and again, and yet to be beheaded, so cruci being crucified, going through the crucifixion, that is like the most shameful way to have died. Beheaded's not that far from that. That is not like a noble way to die. And so I was like, how does that seem fair or right that John the Baptist set himself to be living in a desert, in the wilderness, eating locusts and honey, looking a little freakish, 
And not accepted, not really seeing much of him having this like popularity, you know, winning contest here. And yet this is how he dies. And Jesus could have stopped it. He could have chosen to not allow John the Baptist to die in this moment over something that seems kind of silly, especially considering King Herod wasn't even sure that he wanted to do it in the first place. It was merely out of obligation that he's doing it, not necessarily because he wants John the Baptist to be dead. And, um, and it's interesting because I think we do this fairly often within our own suffering and our own struggles. Like we look at times where we've said yes to the Lord and it gets hard and it's still hard. And we kind of get offended on our own behalf or on the behalf of others. And we're like, they said yes. Why are you not removing them from this suffering? And so I know for me, I know that this is not life and death, but this is part of one example of when I've done this. When I was going to be, for, since I was 14, I knew that I wanted to, I thought I knew that I wanted to work with children with autism. Low functioning, nonverbal, aggressive. I just knew. And from 14, I was researching autism. That was like enjoyable to me in some weird way. Um, it was fascinating. I had, I didn't know anybody at the time who was autistic. It just gripped my heart. I saw something on TV and I saw a child with autism and I was like, there is Jesus in them, and I want to be somebody who calls the Jesus out in them. That was my heart. So graduate high school, I choose not to go do missions in England when I had the opportunity. I chose not to go to Holland and help plant a church. I go to college straight out of high school because I'm thinking this is what I'm going to do. This is what the Lord has called me to do, and I'm saying yes to this. And I learn as, I, as I'm around the kids who are great, it is hard, though. I mean, like really hard. And if you haven't had the opportunity to be around um, the more aggressive or nonverbal population, it is, it's challenging. Um, you're getting things thrown at you constantly, hair pulled out. I mean, just across the board, it's hard. Um, when I was a sophomore in college, I hadn't really gotten an answer of how I was supposed to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish which was working with this population in an in education field. And I called so many different colleges, and nobody was giving me a clear answer of what degree I needed to get in order to accomplish that, because it wasn't necessarily just special education. There were just so many various ways I could do it. And I was super frustrated, and around that time, if you're planning on doing four years in college, around halfway through sophomore year-ish, you kind of need to start honing in a little bit, depending on what degree you're going into. And so the Lord told me, um, I still remember it, that I was supposed to go into the general education classroom as a teacher. And y'all, I did not want to be a teacher. That was not really what I was wanting to do. <laughs> and I did not have a successful, school was hard for me, really hard. But I really, it was the only thing that I had given, given any ounce of peace for me, and so I said yes. So I graduate, I um, end up working, doing student teaching at a low-income um, school, and I, the first day of my student teaching, the Lord tells me, this is where you're going to be getting a job. This is where I want you to work. Okay. So I did my entire senior year student teaching there with the goal, making relationships, making connections, that this is going to be where I start teaching. Still was intimidated to be a classroom teacher, but I was like, 
okay, but I know that this is what the Lord has for me, so yes. And I was getting affirmation. The principal was, um, I was building a relationship with her. By the end of my senior year, I had a job there. I was going to be teaching third grade. Great. And let me tell you that I still struggle with how incredibly hard that year of teaching was. And it wasn't just hard, like, if you've ever at all been in the education field, it's hard in general, <laughs> um, especially your first, they say really your first three years. <laughs> um, but for whatever reason, I was not, I, I just kind of got all the, all the th points were like stacked against me. I had a really challenging class whom I loved, but my goal with those kids was not necessarily to teach them number one. They were needing like basic needs. That's what they were needing. And that was very much my first priority for them. My principal did not like me. She made that very known. She got in trouble twice by the superintendent of the district I was working in because she was trying to be sneaky and break rules and make my life really hard. And I was so frustrated because I was like, wait a minute. I am only here. And I only said yes to this because you called me to this. And it's not getting easier. You're not sending, like, you didn't, I didn't say yes, say yes, say yes. I end up in a classroom, and then there's, like, this ex explosion of favor. And so every day, I was having to walk the halls declaring a truth that I didn't always feel was accurate in my present day. I had to believe, and, and I just had to declare truths of who I knew God was, even though it didn't feel that way. I had to walk the halls being like, you're my advocate. I, I don't need anybody else to advocate for me. You are my advocate in this situation. But I was also kind of frustrated because I felt like this scenario is not going well, God. And you brought me here. And I keep saying yes, and it's not getting better. And so when I read John the Baptist, I had some of that same, what I would interpret as maybe like righteous indignation. Like, how could you let John die? He had not done anything wrong in the, in the scope of the kingdom. He had lived his life well. And then um, I started to think about the fact that John knew that his purpose was to prepare the way for Jesus. And Jesus was now, at the time of his death, Jesus is now on the scene. And not far after John dies, Jesus is then going to die. And... I had to wonder if Jesus and John had this conversation of like, okay, John, I just want to let you know, I'm going to give you a choice. Like, I think it's best, I would say, in the scope of eternity, not just what's best, what feels like the best in this moment, but with all of eternity taken into consideration, your time, like your purpose is, is done. You've done this well. And if you were to have asked John, so would you rather do that or would you rather stay alive? His flesh might have been like, I really wish that I didn't have to die right now. Um, kind of maybe like what Jesus did before the cross. I would really love, you know, it'd be great if I didn't have to do this. But I will because it is your will. And I have to wonder if John kind of would have had that similar interaction with Jesus. I, I would rather not. If there is another way fantastic, let's do that. But if there's not, my entire life purpose has been about preparing the way and making your name famous, and so I say yes. 
Because John lived his entire life with the scope of understanding that it, it wasn't just about what made sense in this moment on this earth. When I look back to teaching, I still at moments have doubts. But at the same time, with distance, I've begun to understand that Jesus did not put me in that classroom with those kids for me to be a great teacher. There were students in that classroom that needed to be loved because nobody else in that season was loving them. And so, sure, the cost of that was that educationally, professionally speaking, I wasn't winning any awards. But in his time frame, when he looked down, being present but also looking down, he could see it is to the benefit of you and to them that you are in that classroom. Yes, enduring the struggle, but loving these kids well in a way that nobody ever has. And so I struggle sometimes, admittedly, still thinking back to that first year of teaching, because then the Lord called me away to teaching. That was the only year I taught. The Lord was like, oh, no, I want you to go do ministry with the navigators. It's like, what in the world was all of my schooling and that feeling like horrendous year just felt like a waste if it was just based off my perception of what I saw, that year and that time was wasted, but it's not. It's not just about what I see and what's right in front of me. It is not determined by the things that I see as good or bad. And so I could endure suffering, and to me, it felt like suffering. Every day, I was going in with people physically trying to come against me. They were making their motives pretty clear, whether they were supposed to or not. But I was able to endure that because I knew the character of God. And so if you work backwards now, so if we, go, if we start cycling backwards and you have towards in the beginning when Jesus goes back to his hometown, you can pretty much take the first two, pa the first two parts of this chapter, Jesus going home and the disciples being sent out, as those who had faith and trust in the Lord, and the, well, those who had faith and trust in the Lord and those who didn't. When he went home to the people that he had, had known him before his ministry started, they were expecting Jesus to look and be a certain way, and he wasn't. And not only was he not the things that they were thinking he would be, were they not only that, but he was not willing to convince them in the ways that they wanted to, to be convinced. He stood true to who he was. I'm not going to perform a bunch of miracles in front of you to make you believe that I am who I say I am. That's not what I'm going to do. And so, and then you have the contrast of the disciples, a group of people who have shadowed and learned and, and interacted with Jesus for this period of time and then were getting sent out. And they weren't getting sent out in this like amazing way where there's a red carpet rolled out in front of them. He's pretty much telling them, because you're not taking a lot, he's telling them they're not going to get liked everywhere. Like they're being kind of set up. We can read this and go, so I'm not taking much with me. I'm not really bringing any money. For the people who don't like me, you're already telling me what to do. He's telling them, this is probably not going to be the most glamorous thing ever. You don't take, get to take the comforts of home, and you're not going to get to be received everywhere you go. But because they had seen and been with Jesus and had an assurance of who he was, they were willing to say yes. And so 
John the Baptist is almost the like example of the disciples, this faith that, that John the Baptist had, that the disciples had, and the people in the hometown don't, didn't. And so when I was asking the Lord, what, how, does, what, how does this translate for, for us? What are you wanting? That was um, for a lot of this week, actually, I kept asking the Lord the question, what is the point? That's what I just kept asking the Lord because I felt like he'd kind of separately made this all make sense to me. But I just kept asking the Lord, what are you saying and what is the point and what, is, what are we as a community supposed to do with that? And I felt like the Lord was saying is that he wanted our community and our body to grow in faith. Because we know and we have seen, and if you haven't seen, you're going to see that it is going to get hard and things are not going to make sense. You're going to say yes in obedience to the Lord, and you may not leave that scenario feeling like he's totally held up his end of the bargain. You're going to go, wait a minute, I said yes to this, but all of these things are still happening and it doesn't feel good. It doesn't look right, which is what the people in his hometown did. Not only, they didn't just question, they questioned his identity. And we, I do that. When I've said yes to Jesus and when I, when I say yes to the Lord and when he doesn't always, when things don't always play out how I think they're going to, I find myself in very small ways questioning the faithfulness and the sovereignty and the goodness of God. I'm questioning the very nature of who he says he is. And so part of our job and as a community is to take this time, almost like the disciples did leading up to this moment, and just being with Jesus. Ask questions, but ask questions with the goal being that our faith is going to grow. Don't just ask questions and walk away because you're going to end up in the same spot. Jesus will totally still be there if that's the way you choose. He'll wait for you. He'll pursue you. That's great. But in order for our faith to grow, engage with him. Allow there to be an exchange of, I'm asking questions and you're responding to me, right? Allow space for, for God's character and his nature to be true in our lives because the suffering's going to come. The things that don't make sense are going to happen. But if we can view those with this backdrop of eternity, and I remember hearing that phrase like five years ago, and it just resonated with me and it still resonates with me, that I can picture literally a backdrop. And so what I see right in front of me can feel very discouraging and overwhelming and hard. But I can trust because of a faith that I have in Jesus that in this backdrop, in the scope of eternity, God is so good that it can feel hard right now, but I can be promised that there is a resurrection at some point because Jesus raised from the dead. That that is going to happen in that situation. And it may not happen on earth. We may not see it how we think we're going to see it. But it is going to happen. It is going to, to come. And that is what our faith in Jesus, that is the anchoring for us when those things come that we go, what in the world? When Jonathan and I found out we were pregnant, we were um, six weeks into marriage, and that... Um, was a huge blessing, just not exactly what we were expecting. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, our two-year anniversary is coming up, and our son is almost 14 months. So <laughs> um, we've experienced most of our marriage with either knowing about our son or having our son. 
And when I was 37 weeks pregnant, I found out that insurance wasn't going, has not covered any of my OB visits and was not going to be covering my delivery. And I went into labor like five days labor, later. Had a C-section, of course, because that's the more expensive option. I mean, just. And so we, we left the hospital like within a matter of a week, we'd accumulated like $70,000 in debt. And it wasn't our fault. There was an error on the, our doctor visit side where all of our bills, they said we were approved, and all of our bills were showing insurance is paying this, you're paying this. Five days before I end up, we have our, we, our son comes into this world, I find out that that's not true. And they thought he was going to be big, which he was, but so I had to have like extra tests done beforehand to make sure that he wasn't like so large. <laughs> um, so we walked out of there at the age of 25, 24, 20, 25, because I'm 26 now, right? Whatever. I don't know. I was in my early 20s, okay? And I had just said yes to being in ministry full-time, which is a supported position. Jonathan was finishing nursing school, and so, somehow we ended up in a very poor financial situation, and it, was not, it did not feel like it was our fault. We were not being wise, unwise. We were not making poor choices. We were not like, hey, this is a great idea. And yet here we were sitting there, and what our prayer, my prayer, I can't speak for Jonathan as much, almost immediately it was like, guys, I get it. Jesus is going to wipe all this away, and it's going to be such a great testimony. Like, I'm going to get to go and tell people, he took $70,000 away from us that we didn't know. It was amazing, fantastic. Like, everybody was going to get saved. Great. <laughs> and so for months, my struggle with the Lord was that that wasn't happening. <laughs> and instead... Our son Ezra has had a not super healthy first year of life. And so instead, we've had like accumulated more three ER visits, multiple doctor visits. I mean, just yeah, the list goes on. And so I was running one night and I was really frustrated. And Ezra was probably five or six months old at this point. And I was running and Jesus was like, But what if it brings me glory to show up every month? and have enough money for those bills? What if that actually is going to be the greater testimony than just wiping clean all of, the, all of the debt? And I didn't love that answer, because that means every month, <laughs> like if you, when we do our budgeting, which props to those who can, for us, sometimes it doesn't make sense, because if you compare our income and how much debt we have to pay off, even on like the lowest of the lowest of the slowest plans, we're still in the negative every month. And yet, here we are, Ezra's 14 months, and never once have we not been able to pay anything. And every month we've had excess. And yet every month I still struggle within myself and question the faithfulness and the sovereignty of God. It's, is he going to come through this time? Or is he just going to allow this time to be the, the like really hard one where it's like, you haven't done a good job stewarding, so I'm just going to keep this from you. You guys laugh, but that's probably my default thinking. <laughs> and he doesn't. He doesn't do that because it is, it's amazing because it is for our good that we endure month to month faith building, which is what this is. And it's for his glory that we endure month to month faith building. 
as opposed to this amazing testimony, which is what would be great, but I know it would be easier. I'd probably forget it quicker. It would not sustain me. And I think when I read, read John the Baptist, I began to realize that a lot of our seasons like that, that don't make sense, that don't in our linear time frame don't make sense, though, and those are kind of the seasons where it's like, yeah, you're kind of all, those seasons are kind of like all the John the Baptist seasons, preparing the way for the kingdom to come again. That, that is our story that's being written as a community, that our suffering and our hardships and our saying yes and not getting clear answers, all of them are still preparing the way for when Jesus comes again. It's not wasted. And so our faith is the anchor for that. And John the Baptist knew that. And so the moment that he was beheaded, when I read that and I was like, Oh, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't feel fair. But what if I think about it, spiritually speaking, what I'm asking is that he would leave being in the presence of God to come back here for my own comfort and reading that. I hope nobody would pray that when I die. Like, don't make me come down to this broken world because I am in heaven. I am actually with the very thing that my spirit is longing for. I just have to be okay with understanding that my good... And my time frame is so much smaller and so flawed in comparison to the picture that Jesus has. But he's so good that he's present in the smallness of my time and yet sovereign and faithful in the big time. I feel like the Lord is just wanting to stir a building of faith in our community The disciples got sent out two by two. They were not by themselves. You are not meant to engage faith and the hardships of life by yourself. Because you're going to question. Everybody up until now in Mark 6 has questioned. And he has made choices that we don't love. He's chosen to not heal people. He's chosen to not engage with some people. And so you're going to need people who are not only with you, peer, but also further along in their faith journey to look at you and interact with you and say, it's okay to ask those questions. We are here with you. We will allow and usher you through this time of questioning with the goal of your faith being stronger. And that is the opportunity that is presented here in this room. You're presented the opportunity to engage with people who are not in the same place in your journey and who are farther along in your journey of faith. And he says, do this together. Be sent together so that you can engage with each other when that comes. For when what feels like you're John the Baptist gets beheaded. In that moment, you have people rushing to your side. In that moment, you're getting to see the resurrection side of suffering. That's what this community can do. That is what Jesus desires for us. And so it's not wrong. It's not wrong and it's not bad to ask questions. But it's asking questions with the goal and with the heart and with the backdrop of wanting to know Jesus more. And so giving space then for him to respond. And doing that in this setting with people And so I'm going to pray, and I am going to pray a prayer of faith for us. 
Because y'all, our world is very broken, and it is not becoming less broken. I don't know, I'm only 26, but that's how it feels in my 26 years of living. (laughs) It's not becoming prettier in a lot of ways. So this, pretty important. And so I'm going to pray for faith, and I'm going to pray that there would be space and time and people for those of you who feel like you're asking questions and there's no one around to hear it. Or for those of you who are engaging hard things and need to be reminded that the character of God is still true. And that he's not wasting it. It's not for nothing. That it will be used for eternity. There is no end date for how good it's going to be. It is just that good. And getting to have a small taste of that here on this earth. So God, we come before you and I thank you that you are worthy for, and, and worth it for us to have our faith and our eyes locked on you. I thank you that you're so good and so faithful and so sovereign that when we come to places and things are metaphorically, literally, emotionally dying, that you are worth us having our faith in you. That that's how good you are. You're so good that you can say, I'm going to meet you in your pain, but I can also look to eternity and see, and it's not wasted. And so I ask, Father, that for those of us who are walking through seasons that feel confusing, that feel like they've been wronged, that feels like they don't deserve to be in the situation they're sitting in, I pray that your love and your grace would shine even brighter in this very moment. I pray that community would surround them, being the hands and feet of you. I pray that our stories as a community would usher in the kingdom well. I thank you that you're here. I thank you that you love us relentlessly are faithful and that you are good. May you stir our hearts and our faith to grow. May we know you and allow you to know us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.